morning. You know, uh, last week we had been asking you to uh, bring a friend and, um, you know, be praying for them. And that was awesome. It was just a wonderful time. I had the privilege of meeting a whole bunch of your friends that you invited to come and join us. And that was wonderful. And uh, I think we had around 150 of your friends who came and visited us over the Thanksgiving services. And we thank God together and learn a little bit about Thanksgiving. So I just want to say thank you for reaching out to your friends and bringing them. That was awesome. And uh, hopefully, and I know for sure, some I know for sure happened, but uh, hopefully they, many of them were nudged closer to Christ as they took that time to worship with us and hear God's word and enjoy the drama and, and all. And let me ditto the thing about the chestnuts. You've got to score them so, as James said, they don't explode right after this service. So somebody remind me to remind you at the end of the service. You know, it doesn't really take much effort to just score those, and uh, we'll be ready for uh, the uh, chestnut roast. Okay, let me see. What is our uh, topic uh, today? Uh, can you all read? What? Friendship. I invented that myself. Hey, awesome. Now, James created it. I told him what to create. He found some good pictures of some ships, but don't you think that's awesome? And you know, that's what friendship and fellowship is. All these people and ships going in the same direction together, you know. And uh, we would like to, you know, thank you for coming, and all those guys who are watching online. Let's take a moment to pray, can we? Father, we hear uh, the emergency vehicles going by, and there may be someone in need that, that we know. And Lord, it might just be a policeman who found out that we pray every time they drive by. But we ask you to bless them either way, and that you would just uh, meet every need and draw them closer to you, O oh God, and minister to the needs that are out there the ones that we don't hear any sirens going off for. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a, a hotline straight to you, and we can get a hold of you when we need it most. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, <clears throat> you know, friendship, it doubles our joy, and it really just divides you know, all the griefs that we have, when you have a friend, to share that with it. It changes things. It really does. And I want to encourage you, as, <coughs> as we start today, that you would begin to deal with the, thought, uh, the faults of others who's in your sphere of influence, that you would deal with other people's faults the same way God deals with yours. Pretty cool, right? So however you would want God to deal with your faults, you deal with the faults of others. Um, you know, real friends, I mean, I'm talking about real, genuine friends, you know, they don't care if your socks don't match, do they? I mean, do y'all care about my socks? Yes, I like that. You know, I might do this on a regular basis from now on, especially when you can't find the matching one, you know? 
I've seen a bunch of the teens who come over to our house. I call them teens. They're young adults now. They're out of their teens. And they, they, they do that all the time. Do, do real friends care if your socks match or not? They really don't. There's a lot of those kinds of things that doesn't matter. And I want to talk about friendship here. In Psalms, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs uh, 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves most of the time. <clears throat> oh, yeah. A friend loves at, what's that? All times. So if you're a friend, a genuine friend, you love all the time. Not just occasionally on special occasions, but it says a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity or, you know, this friend becomes a brother in times of adversity, in times of trouble. Uh, in the New Living Translation, let me read it once again. It says, a friend, talking about a true friend, is always loyal, which means faithful, trustworthy, devoted, dependable. A friend, a true friend, is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. And see, one of the greatest sources of wealth that you and I have is in our friendship. There are a lot of people who work all their life you know, accumulating uh, pictures of dead presidents on little pieces of paper and they store them in a vault somewhere. <clears throat> That's not near as valuable as the friendships that we accumulate. And I'm not talking about an acquaintance. I'm talking about a real, true, genuine friend. And if you have a real, genuine friend, you're, you're, you're a wealthy person. But you know what? We can accumulate as many as we want as we'll find the principles of how to go about doing that in God's Word. Uh, <clears throat> an article I came across says, when our youngest son was in high school, he played defensive end on the football team. And during his junior year, his team didn't make the playoffs because of a missed 20-yard field goal. Still, when the next football season rolled around, there was significant enthusiasm in the community and I was president of the football boosters club that year. The team had another poor season and won only one ball game. It was difficult rallying the community to attend the ball games that season. However, the most discouraging aspect was observing the behavior of the fans who did attend. In most of the games that season, the local team was behind by halftime and people would begin leaving in mass during the third quarter. By the end of the game, <clears throat> there were only parents and close friends remaining in the stadium. Have you ever noticed that the times we appreciate friendship the most are in our most difficult times? That's when it really matters, is in the difficult times. And remember, a joy that is shared is twice a joy. It's a double joy. Now, I don't know if you go fishing or not, but if I go out and have an awesome day fishing and I catch a fish all by myself, I, that's cool. That's awesome, man. But if I have somebody to share that experience with, it's twice as good, you know, because they're encouraging you. Get him in there, you know, and all. But when you go through a, a sorrow and you have a friend to share it with, that sorrow is only half as bad. Friendship is genuinely 
makes a difference. Character is shown by our ability to form friendships. Friends never desert or ignore you in life's toughest times. Friends find a way to help. They really do. <clears throat> now, I actually need an usher. Is there an usher who can help me out for just a second? Hang on, Mike. Sit back down. You got the front seat. You've been serving long and hard. No, and I appreciate that. That's what a friend will do. Hey, how you doing, Carol? I need a cup of coffee. Quick. Okay? How do I like it? That's awesome. Could I have a cup? Wonderful. Now, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you just enjoyed the service. You've been serving hard already, brother. Thank you. So, Mr. Rayburn was Speaker of the United States House of Representatives longer than any other man in our history. There is a story about him that reveals the kind of a man that he was. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of nice to get behind the scenes, isn't it? To see the heart of people that you normally would not see. But it says in this article, and I just felt that it was noteworthy to share it with you, that the teenage daughter of a friend of his had died suddenly one night. Woohoo! Yeah, you can build that thing up there. Awesome. Thank you. Give her a hand for helping us out. Ah. Now, that's a cup of coffee there. Now, I love my wife. And every time I come to service, she has coffee. Just a little bit with a cup of milk. And she offers it to me. And it's like drinking cold milk with just a tiny bit of coffee flavor in it. And it's okay, you know, if you're dying of thirst, but that tastes like coffee. Awesome. Woo-hoo. And uh, don't forget, I, I may have already told you, but all the folks who work getting our coffee together and all the goodies and stuff that's been back there last week and this week, when you're back there, let them know how much you appreciate them doing that, Okay. Yes, it's good to do it right now. So we're talking about Mr. Rayburn, Rayburn, the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, and the teenage, a teenage daughter of a friend of his died suddenly one night. Early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door. And when he opened it, there was Mr. Rayburn standing outside. The Speaker said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We're making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, Have you had your coffee this morning? And the man replied that they'd not taken time for any breakfast at all. So Mr. Rayburn said, 
that he could at least make coffee for them. And while he was working in the kitchen, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to have breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Mr. Rayburn said, but I called the president and I told him that I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come today. Now that's a friend. That's a true friend. He turned down breakfast with the President of the United States to make coffee for a friend who was in need. See, a friend is one who comes in when the whole world stands up and walks out. A true friend comes in at that time. You know, the North American Indian word for friend is translated one who carries my sorrows on his back. Are you that kind of a friend? To carry the sorrows of your friend on your back? Do you have a friend like that who carries their sorrows, I mean your sorrows on their back when you're in times of, of need? Think about that for a moment. Friends are those rare people you know, who ask, how are you doing? And uh, they wait around to hear the answer. Because it's a common, hey, well, how are you doing today? And you, you, you didn't take the time to get the answer, you know. Think about that. How do we respond to people? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, two, let's talk about friends here, two are better than one because they, talking about these friends, they have a good reward for the labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. No, no friends, for he has no one to help him up. Friendship is awesome. It's the most valuable thing that you will ever acquire while on this planet is friendships. And think about it again. How many true, honest-to-goodness friends do you have? Or how many people are you a good friend to? Think about that. And then he says here in verse 11, Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And boy, I understand that. Quite a few years ago now, uh, Judah, my oldest son, and I, and another friend of his, uh, Jonathan, I believe his name, we uh, went on a, a, a camping trip. They were going to go. And he said, Dad, you want to come? And I wasn't. And then at the last moment on a Sunday afternoon, I went camping. We didn't get there until it got dark. It was early, early spring. The place was covered in snow up in the mountains and ice, like armor plating. Anyhow, during the night, his his uh, uh, hydration bottle, the cap got turned, and we put him in our sleeping bag to keep him from freezing. He got wet, and actually, he, he uh, we got up that morning, and then he fell over, and he, he was unconscious. On two times, we tried to revive him, but he almost died of hypothermia. He got wet, and he got cold, and the chill factor, it brought the temperature down way below zero, and uh, the cure for hypothermia, if you act promptly, you can revive somebody 
by putting two people in one sleeping bag and sharing your warmth. And that's what we did. So I understand this passage. He was really close to death. It says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? You get hypothermia and you're by yourself? You know, it's, it's, it's tough because you got to get and, and warm up that core, you know. Well, I was talking about the definition, the translation of the Indian word, and it made me think about uh, this article I had read. You, you know these guys, I think. But when surrounded by savage Indians, the Lone Ranger said to Tonto, we're really in big trouble this time. And Tonto said, what do you mean, we, white man? So he wasn't much of a friend. But I just made that up. That's not true. Do you remember what Tonto called the Lone Ranger? Kimosabi. Now, I used to call people Kimosabi, and they'd look, what did you call me? You know? So I looked it up and I found out that the word kemosabi means my dearest and most trusted friend. And, and we know that the Lone Ranger really wasn't alone. He really wasn't alone because he had Tonto and they kind of pulled each other out of jams all the time. And he always called the Lone Ranger, he says, my dearest and most trusted friend. Friendships are so very valuable. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20, it says, The poor are despised even by their neighbors, while the rich have many friends. Now, this may be true to some degree, but where it says the rich have many friends, I was thinking about the prodigal son. You remember when he went to his dad, he got his inheritance? And they went off and it says that he just lived in riotous living. And the prodigal son had a whole bunch of friends. You remember that? Because he had cash. Now, I'm not sure how long those uh, friends hung around when he no longer had the cash. But prosperity, it does beget friends. But adversity proves them. Trouble is what I'm talking about. Trouble proves whether you got real friends or not. Adversity is a test of real friendships. So if you really want to know who your friends are, make a mistake. And by their response, you can tell, is this a true friend or not? Or when people that you know make a mistake, how do you respond to them? Are we there consoling them and encouraging them and picking them back up? Or do we, along with the rest of the world, criticize and tear down? It tells us here in Proverbs 16, 22, it says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer, a whisperer is talking about a gossip, a tale-bearer. And it says, And a whisperer separates the best of friends. A whisperer, a gossiper, destroys friendships. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but the word whisperer, uh, a gossip, uh, you know, a tale-bearer, 
And, and the word in the New Testament, which is referring to, it, it says, those who had uh, all these books of curious arts, which they practiced sorcery and casting spells and all. Same word. A talebearer and a gossip is the exact same word. Not similar. So if, if you're going to gossip, you might as well get some tarot cards and a, a crystal ball, try to cast spells on people, because it is exactly the same thing. That's kind of eye-opening, is it not? Those who practice curious arts of sorcery and witchcraft and all, the Greek word was the exact same as a tale-bearer, a gossip. So we don't know what spirit we are of when we gossip about somebody else. But the Bible says a whisper, a gossip, separates the best of friends. Now, you remember the prodigal son with dad's money? He had plenty of friends. But when the money was gone, no more friends except dad. And dad was there looking every day down the road, hoping his son would return. And what did he do when he did see his son? He ran out, the Bible says, and he met him before he got to the house. And he sent a servant with a beautiful robe to cover over the filth because that was the way he was dressed now. He had no money. No one cared if he lived or died. All of his so-called friends, fair-weather friends, they were gone, all except dad. And this helps us to see the heart and the nature of our heavenly father who loves us so much and wants us to come back home to him. It says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Is it possible to really be a friend and with your, your words inflict pain on a true friend? Is it possible? You ever heard the saying? I've been hearing it since I was a kid. And it said, friends don't let friends drive drunk. You know, you take their car keys away from them. They say all kinds of mean, horrible things to you. Right? But the thing is, you love them too much to let them go and hurt themselves or someone else. And it might, might be an update to that. It's like friends just don't let friends drink. Might even be a better one. You know what I'm saying? Friends don't let friends die without knowing Jesus. Think about it for a moment. What's the most important thing when we come to the conclusion, the end of our life, is whether we make it to heaven or not. Friends. Sometimes the words that we could say to someone could be, uh, be offensive. But friends don't let their friends die without at least knowing about how much Jesus loves them and how he gives them another chance and how he wants to pardon and forgive. And he'll be there to help you in your times of need. Even if our friends, that would not be preaching at me and this, that, and another, if you know somebody and you consider them a friend. As you know, one day we will stand before the Almighty God at this great white throne judgment day and visualize with me for a moment. I don't know exactly how God's going to get it set up, but I know there's a line of people coming for his throne. And he refers to those as the goats. And there's a line that he refers to them as being the sheep. 
And I have thought about this for many years. I said, I, I imagine one day when I'm standing before God, getting ready to give account of, of my life and, and what I did with Jesus. Did I reject him or accept him? There'll be some people over here in this line and they'll look over and they'll see me and they'll go, hey, you knew about this? You knew I would stand before Almighty God one day and have the, you know, to give account of myself and only two destinations I could choose from that I'd already made a choice of, heaven or hell? You knew about this and didn't tell me? Well, I tried to, but you didn't make it clear? And you know, that's just such a sobering wake-up call. Because people find out about Jesus and his love and his goodness and his mercy through a friend. That's how it gets communicated one to the other. He is our friend who pushes us nearer to God. Maybe a little article, maybe something he writes, maybe a text, maybe an email, maybe a book, maybe inviting someone to church. Maybe they're already a Christian, but they're kind of struggling. Man, a true friend is going to nudge you nearer and nearer to God. A, a true friend loves you too much to see you in danger and to remain silent. You've got to speak up. A true friend now, mind you. Now, an acquaintance, that's a whole different issue. And given enough time, acquaintances can become true friends, you know. Talking about the wounds of a friend. They're so much more life-changing than the kisses of an enemy. Remember, Judas betrayed the Savior with a kiss. Well, it says here in Proverbs 27, verse 10, it says, Do not forsake your own friends or your father's friends, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor, and he's talking about here, a friend nearby than a brother far away. Don't forsake proven friends. A close friend is better than a relative that lives way far away, is what he's telling us. Now, in the book of Ruth, it tells us a story about Naomi. Naomi had a couple of sons. They got married. They moved to another land. You know, mother-in-law, the two sons, and their wives moved to another land. In the uh, time as it passed, the two sons died. So her two daughter-in-laws were there with her, and one went back to live with her mom and her family and, and their gods. So I want to pick up right here in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. And it says, and she said, Naomi, the mother-in-law, and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, little g, her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. She had come to know the goodness of God through Naomi. And she wasn't going back to false gods. And she said, and where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. We're talking about an absolute, phenomenal, amazing friendship where the daughter-in-law says, 
You know, I'm staying with you. I'm sticking with you. You have loved me and you've cared for me and your God has become my God and your people are my people and it don't matter where you go. If you're out in the field or you're in the finest palace, that's where I'm going to be. An amazing friendship. I'm going to tell you, you know, a uh, whole uh, 40 years ago in a few days, I actually married my best friend. And I'm still married to my best friend. And I can honestly say our friendship is deeper now than it ever was. And I want to challenge you. Hopefully, you married your best friend. It may be in your marriage right now, maybe you're struggling. But I'm going to challenge you to invest your time, your energy, and your money to strengthening your friendship. Husbands and wives, strengthen the relationship, the friendship you have. Just the, the droning of this world around us tries to pull us apart. But whatever it takes, invest in strengthening your friendships. It's worth the effort. It genuinely is. And listen what the Song of Solomon says in regards to this. It says, His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. And uh, those who marry should be able to say that about themselves, to marry your best friend. If there's not a real deep, close friendship there, well, then you probably will not be getting married. <laughs> Not yet, you see. But this passage refers to a courtship. It, 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 it refers to marriages, but it also refers to our relationship with God, our beloved, and our best friend. Do you know God is a genuine friend, not just a rule book somewhere, some nebulous power that, you know, uh, demands certain rules to be kept? Well, Relationship with God often comes from relationship with other people who know God. Friendships with people who know God. And, and we have done this on purpose. My mom is real good at doing this on a regular basis. But imagine you go out to dinner somewhere, okay? And you kind of plot this thing out ahead of time. Maybe just two of you, maybe four or five of you. And one of you says to the other, hey, uh, Tell me again how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And one of you starts sharing your testimony of how precious God has been and helped you through some real difficult times in life, you know, and how he has forgiven you and given you another chance. And there's a lot of people around you eavesdropping. You do know that, right? They're going like, <clears throat> they're trying to hear what you say. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of people come to know Jesus by eavesdropping like that, you know. And you might make a friend. And you can do that face-to-face -face with those that you love and you care about. Dr. Uh, J. Wilbur Chapman, famous evangelist, said that the New Testament records tell of 40 people, each suffering from the same disease, who were healed by Jesus. Of this number, 34 of the 40 were either brought to Jesus by a friend or he was taken, Jesus was taken to their friend. In only six cases out of 40 did the sufferers find the way to Jesus without assistance. Of the vast number of people 
who find their way to Jesus today, most of them reach him because of the friends of Jesus who are concerned about the welfare of their souls. One of the greatest ways to witness for Christ is to become a friend. And the friends that you have may never know about how much God loves them. They may have never had it explained from someone who had a relationship with them. Not that we're any of us are perfect, but unless a friend speaks up and says, let me tell you what has changed my life. Changes. Well, I was reading about this guy. And uh, actually, though, before I do that, let me, uh, let's see, where's it here? Oh, yeah. Paper. A lot of people don't know what that stuff is. We text and we email, you know, but you can still actually write with a pencil or a pen. You know that? That works. They call that snail mail, you know. But I want to give you all, there's 500 sheets of paper here, you know, and I want you to feel free to take as much of it as you want. But at least one sheet. And, uh, oh, what a shock it would be for somebody to open their mailbox and the cobwebs has been cleaned out by a, an actual letter. <clears throat> but I want to challenge you to be that person who maybe writes just a few, a few sentences. Hey, I was just thinking about you today. I consider you a friend, and I want you to know how you've affected my life. Or just tell them something encouraging or positive. Somebody who's down who needs just to be lifted up, maybe. Write them a letter. And, you know, you can take a piece of paper. You can probably get your own paper. It's prettier than that, you know. But send somebody a note, and it might be the very thing that lifts them up in a very uh, difficult time. Maybe so. How would you feel if you got a letter from somebody who was just saying, I was just thinking about you. I prayed for you today. Ask God's blessing upon you. Here's a little scripture I was reading. I thought it might encourage you. How would you feel if somebody took the time to do something like that, you know? So take a piece of paper, maybe fold it up, stick it somewhere where you'll see it every day as a reminder, oh, I need to contact a friend. And you know what? If you must, you can actually send a text or an email if you must. Now, that is a valid form of communication today. But do it intentionally just as a friend to be a source of encouragement. Not trying to get people interested in you, but you being interested in other people. That's what I'm talking about. So I was reading about this man, and he was putting up a TV antenna, and some other neighbors were trying to help him. And there was a new guy in the community, and he came over with this elaborate toolbox with some pretty high-end-looking tools in the box, and he jumped in there, and before you know it, he had that antenna up and right angle and tweaked and everything. And one of the neighbors said, what do you make with tools like that? And he said, mostly friends. So what do you have that you can make friends with? A toolbox? I do know an oven and a cookie sheet makes lots of friends. <laughs> I might become a friend real easy. <laughs> Gluten-free, okay, remember. 
But I'm, I'm serious. Whatever you can do, whatever you're gifting, you can use it to develop friendships and encourage people. You really can. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 is probably the most valuable passage I'm going to share with you today. And it was worth getting up to come here to only read this verse. And it says in Proverbs 18, 24, it says, A man who has friends must show himself to be friendly. You ever hear people, well, I don't have no friends. I don't have no friends. I don't have no friends. If I was a betting man, I'd bet you a dollar you could make a half a dozen friends before the day is over. You believe that? Absolutely you could. The Bible says a man who has friends must show himself to be friendly. So what do you got to do? Show yourself to be friendly. Be friendly to somebody. What we're talking about here, you know, is this art of making friends is, is not speaking all about yourself, but, but engaging others to talk about themselves. Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. What about this? What about that? And if you're friendly, you're going to make friends. Now, if you're just going out trying to make a bunch of friends who can, uh, you know, help you, well, I want friends who will give me this and give me that and help me with this. That's not friendship. You know, you, you go out of your way to be friendly to other people. And you'll make all the friends, true friends. And they'll last a lifetime, to be honest with you. If you were another person, would you like to be a friend of yours? I know it's complicated to understand that. But if you were somebody else, would you like to be a friend of yours? I've heard three yeses. Four. But think about it, because sometimes we just get preoccupied and we're not thinking. We are thinking about how am I going to get through life and I got all my struggles and it'd be nice to have a friend. But it's like, you know, who can I be a friend to today? Who can I be a friend to today? I want to tell you about a very important guy. You know, I was reading about in history. His name's Winnie the Pooh. And Winnie the Pooh was deciding who to call on at lunchtime. And, and, and Winnie said, Tigger? Nah, not, not Tigger. Owl? No. Owl uses big words. Hard to understand words. And then Pooh brightened up. And he said, I know. I think I'll go see Rabbit. I like Rabbit. Rabbit uses encouraging words like, How's about lunch? You know, and help yourself, Pooh. Now, those are encouraging words, don't you think? You know, it's 1210 right now, and I haven't had anything to eat all day. And if someone said, how's about lunch? It's like, hey, I'm your friend. You know, it's like, uh, well, that's what Rabbit said to Pooh. How's about lunch? Help yourself, Pooh. Yes, I think I'll go see Rabbit. See, our greatest wealth, you know, is not measured by how many pictures of dead presidents you have in a, a vault somewhere. Our wealth really has to do with how many friendships 
you have. That's the most important thing. Luke chapter 10, verse 33, it says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Now this he was a Jewish guy who was probably, he had to serve a certain amount of time in the temple. That was his religious duty. And he was coming back home after he had served, and he had been beaten up by robbers, most likely Samaritans, and robbed. And the Bible says this man was left half dead, a religious man was left half dead on the side of the road. And left half dead without some help, before long you're going to be whole dead, you know. I don't know if that's grammatically a way to say that or not, but you know what I'm saying. So it says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34 says, so he went to him and he bandages his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And that was the, the, basically the medicines that they had of that day. And he set him on his own animal. He walked while this wounded man was on his, his donkey there. And he brought him to an end and he took care of him throughout that night. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And you know I come through here all the time. We'll screw up. Now you're talking about a real friend there. And, and, and the guy who was half dead, when he come to, he was probably like, what do you, what do you, you know, because the, uh, the Samaritans were really looked down on. It was like, you're kind of like the scum of the earth. You know, but when he saw and recognized that this man showed him kindness, invested his time, his energy, and his money, he, he became a real friend. Think about how we can do this, because you, you make more friends in, in two months by becoming interested in other people than you will in two years by trying to get people interested in you. You know what I'm talking about? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22 says, To the weak... I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So do we go out of our way to be something for other people just for the privilege of befriending them and telling them about our Savior? Because see, friends don't let their friends die without at least knowing about Jesus' love and his forgiveness and the provisions in heaven and how to get there. We just got to do our part. There's a few years ago, Pepper Rogers, he was in the middle of a terrible season as, as a football coach, you know, at UCLA. And it even got so bad that it upset his home life. And he recalls, my dog was my only friend. And he said, I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends. So she went out and bought me another dog. Doesn't sound like they had a good relationship there, does it? Well, do you know why a dog has so many friends, don't you? Because it wags its tail and not its tongue. The Bible says that gossip destroys even the best friendships, you know. But a dog, you know, my dog, 
I don't know if you believe this or not, but my dogs can smile. When he sees me coming, he smiles. You know, wags his tail. If you hadn't seen him in a little while, if you get near him, he'll knock you over with that tail. You know? And, and everyone who is in here, if you come up there, he'll be your friend in just a matter of seconds, unless you hurt one of us, and then he's going to eat you for breakfast, you know? But, you know, it's our mouth that gets us in trouble sometimes, isn't it? It surely does. It surely does. Well, Jim, Jim and Philip, they did everything together when they were kids. They even went to high school and college together. And after college, they joined the Marines together. They were both sent to Germany where they fought side by side in one of history's ugliest wars. During a fierce battle, they were given the command to retreat. And as the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip hadn't returned with the others. Jim begged his commanding officer to let him go after his friend. But the officer forbade the request, saying it would be suicide. Jim disobeyed his commanding officer, and he went after Philip anyway. His heart pounding, he ran into the gunfire, calling out for Philip. And a short time later, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field, carrying a limp body in his arms. The commanding officer shouted at Jim for his outrageous risk. Your friend is dead, he said. There was nothing you could do. No, sir. Jim replied, I got there just in time. Before Philip died, he said, I knew you would come. Now that's a friend. At great risk to your own life. And my Bible tells us that Jesus will never forsake you or I. He is always an ever-present help in our time of trouble. He will be there, Jesus will, for you and for me. In Proverbs 18, 4, I read it a while ago, it says the most important verse I'll probably read today. It says, a man who has friends must show himself to be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what's his name? His name's Jesus. He gave his life for you and for me. So we could experience the forgiveness of our sins and live with him forever. One more verse. John 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then Jesus says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And no longer do I call you servants. Yes, we serve God. We understand that. But Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard 
from my Father I have made known to you. Now, are, are we friends enough? I told you that was the last verse, and I just discovered I had one more. <laughs> it would take me about 20 seconds to read it. Can I read you one more verse? Thank you. So James 2.23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. Now, you see that word, believe God, and we go, eh, that's just one of those Christian words. That's one of those Bible words. It's, it's okay, but see, probably he's not jumping off the page maybe at you, but Abraham believed. He had faith in. He, he trusted in God. And it, it says Abraham believed, and when you believe, it changes everything. And it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God because he believed God. And he was called the friend, not just a servant of God, but he was called the friend of God. Now, what I want to do is going to take us two more minutes. I would like to listen to a song, it's a two-minute song, and this song, it's just real quick, but it talks about praying for your friends. Praying for your friends. And I would challenge you as you hear this, take it to heart to begin to pray for your friends because praying makes a difference. And if you believe, it, it brings about transformation in an amazing kind of way. So let's listen to this song together. Circumstances have clouded his view. Lord, I lift my friend up to you. I fear that I won't have the words that he needs to hear. I pray for your wisdom, oh God, and a heart that's sincere.
Let's take just a moment right now. And I want you to think of at least one friend that may be going through a difficult time. And I'll just silently at your seat right now. Let's pray for them. Okay? Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus. And we lift all these friends, Lord, that we're thinking about, that we're praying about under our breath. We lift them up to you. And we ask that you'd work a miracle in their lives. Those who are going through some real tough times right now, would you help them? Would you comfort them? Would you provide the things that they need? Would you bring them out from underneath that cloud of despair and depression? Would you revive and rejuvenate their heart? Lord, bless our friends. And those that do not know you in a personal way, may they come to know you as Savior, as Lord, as King. Send laborers across their path who will love them and share the good news with them. Lord, use us as laborers to go to friends and share the good news. Bless them, Almighty God. And show us how that we can reach our friends and that they can come to know you in a personal way. As our heads are bowed right now, I would ask you who know Christ, if you would reaffirm your faith with me and our awesome Savior. And if you're here today and you've never welcomed Jesus into your life as Savior, would you join us as we pray and let him come in and just transform your life for the good? Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. And I believe that Jesus gave his life to wash my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door right now. And I welcome Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. And as my friend, I welcome Jesus into my life. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. And I turn from those things. And this day, I choose to live my life for you. And help me, Lord, to become a good friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in just a second, I want to just release everybody. But in your weekly challenge, and this is a simple one today, guys. Some are kind of tough, but this is a simple one. And if you agree with this, just check it off and drop it in the tithe box on your way out. It simply says, this week, I will attempt to make new friends by being friendly. We can do that, can't we?
You can win a half a dozen friends before you go to bed tonight if you want to. I will attempt to make new friends by being friendly. If you prayed with me just a moment ago and you asked Jesus to come into your life for the first time, would you stop at the uh, desk in the back, the connections desk? And we've got a gift bag for you. It's got a Bible in there and some other things that would inspire you. And, um, you know, if you let me know that this is your uh, first time, you know, here, they have a, a gift for you as well of just, uh, just saying that we appreciate you coming and we hope you come back. And if you need some prayer, there'll be people around the altar up here who would love to pray with you. And I'm telling you, God who we serve and who loves us, he answers prayer still today. He does. And with that, greet one another on your way out. Oh, thank you. Don't forget about the chestnuts. We got 500 pounds of chestnuts that are going to explode on people if we don't score them first before we roast them. That happens right now downstairs. So if you're well, uh, willing to cut the shell on a chestnut, we would appreciate it. And you'll probably make some new friends too. All right, God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.